right, church, we'll be on Luke chapter 10 this morning. And uh, thank you, Nathan, for reading that for us. I know it's, uh, you guys are scary to stand in front of. It's scary up here. So uh, you did a great job, Nathan. Thanks for doing that this morning. Luke chapter 10 will be our text verse. Again, welcome to our service. And I pray that song was a blessing to you as we think about the uh, Easter Sunday next week. As we prepare our hearts for the season, uh, this time of the year, think about Resurrection Sunday. And we thank the Lord for his gift uh, to us uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. And so uh, I failed to mention a, uh, a welcome to those who are live streaming this morning. So welcome to you folks that are uh, tapping into our live stream service here this morning. And I uh, pray that you enjoy the service through live stream. What a blessing it is to have technology these days to be able to see even Brother Andrew and the pastor, of course, here, give us announcements and uh, welcome and all that. And that's great to have that here. Again, keep uh, them in prayer, if you would, as they're out and uh, enjoying the holidays in Sydney and uh, around as they go traveling around. Here in Luke chapter 10, and uh, we read the, uh, the parable of the, uh, we probably very familiar, familiar parable, parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, very, very familiar. I'm sure probably outside of John 3.16, this would probably be one of the most familiar passages of Scripture known to us Christians and probably even some unsaved people. They've heard the Good Samaritan. There's many organizations that are out there, uh, the Samaritan's Purse, uh, that uh, take the name from the Bible, from this parable, and apply it to their principle of their business. And whether it's that or there's, a, I think, a Samaritan church in Toowoomba, and uh, even the world takes this uh, terminology and uh, they apply it uh, to their need. And so we understand a very, very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. And so this morning, um, we're going to go through this and kind of break it down. And we're going to actually back up and start reading verse 25. Because where Nathan started reading verse number 30, it says, And Jesus answering says, so there's a question that was given that will help us uh, really understand what's going on here. And this morning, my, my uh, goal is to maybe help challenge your understanding a little bit of this passage as we back up and set the foundation for this uh, entire parable. Now, my sermon this morning, there's, uh, there's, I have no points. All right, so I was going to say it's a pointless sermon, but yeah, that probably won't be a good thing. So we, we have no points. There's no one, two, three, or anything like that. And so we're going to simply go through it um, and just kind of unpack and break down this parable as we see it in front of us here on this day. Here in Luke chapter 10, we'll read verse 25 and get a bit of a background again of this parable. And in fact, before we read, I'm reminded of a young preacher uh, was being considered as pastor <clears throat> of a church, and the church board was asking him questions, as they do, about the Bible. And uh, one of the questions asked to this young preacher was, what is your favorite passage in the Bible? And... Uh, the young preacher said in response, my favorite text is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then he began to wax eloquent. He said, and this was his rendition of the Good Samaritan, what he remembered from God's word. The Good Samaritan was riding his donkey down the road to Jericho one day when he rode under the branch of an oak tree. His long hair got tangled in the branches and his donkey ran out from under him and left him hanging there for 40 days and 40 nights. Then along comes Delilah and cuts his hair, and he falls. He falls among thieves who robbed him and left him for dead. He picked up himself and hitchhiked a ride with Jehu in his chariot. As they approached Jericho, the boys looked down and said, It must be Jehu, for he driveth furiously. The boys hollered down to Jehu and said, What should we do with this Jezebel woman? Jehu said, Throw her down. The boys said, How many times? Jehu said, Seventy times seven. 
And of the fragments, they picked up 12 baskets. Now I ask you, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And needless to say, I don't think he got the job. <laughs> I don't think he was chosen. But again, it could be a very familiar passage as we read to verse number 25 here. And again, setting a bit of a background, a bit of a foundation, why Jesus, what question was Jesus answering? And this will give us the understanding of this text. Here, verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so the setting is this. The setting is Christ is speaking to a, uh, a group of people and speaking to 70, and he's speaking to some disciples of his around there in the beginning of chapter 10, verse number 1. And in the middle of all this, a certain lawyer stood up, a certain uh, a priest, a, a very a noble man stood up and asked Jesus a question, and we understand his motive. We understand that he had an ulterior motive. He's trying to tempt the Lord. He's trying to corner him, trying to... Uh, trick him. So we see here the question he asked our Savior, Jesus Christ, he calls him master, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so this is the, the springboard from which we understand the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so this is a question of eternal life. And understand that that was a question that a lot of people had in the Gospels. You read the different accounts of people asking the Lord, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? A very, very personal question, is it not? It's a very personal question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And again, he had a bit of an ulterior motive, and, and, uh, but the lawyers, uh, the high priest, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're always trying to corner the Lord. They're always trying to corner him, trick him up, tempt him. And so here it is again, we have this temptation of Christ, this testing, this, this trickery, and Christ is going to turn us around and really try to help this man. Understand this man knew the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament, the prophets and the law. He knew, and we'll see this here in a minute. In fact, verse 26, it says this, verse 26, he said unto him, so Christ responds with a question, what is written in the law? How readest thou? All right, so Christ flips us around. He says, all right, Mr. Lawyer, what do you understand the law? How do you understand it? What do you read? Understand that the lawyers, they, they read, the, uh, these people read, the Jewish uh, leaders read the law twice a day. They knew what it said. They were very knowledgeable in the law of Moses, in the law of God, in the Old Testament. They knew it. And so Christ is saying, what is written in the law? How readest thou? What is your understanding of what you read? In fact, what is your understanding of what you teach? What does it say? And he, verse 27, answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So that is his response to the question of the Lord. He understood what he read. He understood what the law said. He knew what it meant. He recited it two times every day. He knew the law. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. We can boil down God's law into what we call the Ten Commandments found in Exodus, in Deuteronomy. 
The first five regard our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second five, the last five of those ten, deal with our relation with other people. Or we can boil down even more into these two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. And so the lawyer understood, he, he condensed it down into those two laws. In verse 28, it says this. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. You understand what Christ said there? If you keep those laws perfectly, you'll have eternal life. That's what he was saying. This do, and thou shalt live. You want eternal life? You do what the law says. You do what it says. Doesn't that bring conviction? It should. It should bring conviction. Right now, this lawyer should stop and say, you know what? Wow. I haven't done that. And by the way, that word love has a, the meaning of continuing all the time. Not just one time. Not just twice, but your whole life. To love the Lord thy God with your entire being. If you can do that, if, you're, if I can do that, if you can do that, we can have eternal life. That's it. But can you? Can you do that? Can I do that? I can't. So this whole, this whole parable, this whole conversation is to bring conviction to this unsaved man. In fact, I struggled a little bit trying to find a title for the sermon this morning. And uh, I don't know, usually I make it pretty simple. I was trying to, a little bit, um, again, a different, maybe a different perspective on this parable. And the title is this, Grace Offered Through an Unfavorable Verdict. A kind of lengthy title and uh, made the job hard for fellows back there trying to label us on, on, online. But grace offered through an unfavorable verdict. And so through this whole conversation with this lawyer, Christ is trying to bring conviction to this man. He's trying to bring him to a point where, you know what, I can't do this. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I can't fulfill the law. The law has taught me I can't fulfill it. It's a schoolmaster. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Notice what it says in verse 29, and we get even deeper. But he, willing to justify himself. Before you're too harsh on this lawyer, we've been there, haven't we? Oh, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm all right. I don't need anything. He's trying to protect his facade trying to protect his front. Instead of getting under conviction, instead of pausing and looking and hearing the words of Christ and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he's sitting there trying to justify himself. So he's getting deeper in debt. <laughs> he's getting deeper and deeper. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, you know, a little bit, uh, almost cynically, so he wanted to convince people that he was righteous, though he knew he wasn't. He wanted to maintain the front, the facade. And he said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He jumped over the loving God part, did he not? Basically what he's saying is, oh, I'm all right with God. I'm okay with God. He was saying, in effect, I'm okay. There's nothing I need to deal with there. And really, I'm okay with my neighbor unless you've actually changed the definition of a, of a, of a neighbor. So what do you mean by neighbor, Jesus? You see his sarcasm, his, his cynical nature, his, uh, his just, uh, really pride in his life. 
And understand that uh, we can take note of this because what would you do if you ran across somebody like this? As you witness, as you talk to somebody, as you share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of heaven, what would you do? I know my first reaction, forget that. I'm not wasting my time with this fellow. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm casting pearls before swine. I'm not, wasting, I'm not wasting my time, forget that. That door's closed, forget it. But the opening verses... Uh, verse, the opening verse of verse 30, and Jesus answering said, understand God's grace, his mercy, his long-suffering, his love for this man? You see that? He answered this man. He didn't have, what well, did you answer him? I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't answer him. I said, I forget that. I'll go see somebody else. I'll talk to somebody else who's actually open. <laughs> so I think this fellow here is a bit, uh, as Mark chapter 4 would say, uh, the hard type of soil. He was a bit of a, a hard Hard fellow. Would you, say, would you agree with that? Probably a bit hard. Full of pride. Trying to protect his facade. But Jesus answering said. So you understand the background of, of the parable of the Samaritan? And for the next few moments, we're going to start unpacking this here as we think about how this applies to us today. Let's read verse 30. So Jesus is has the motivation of bringing conviction to this lost man. He's trying different angles, trying different approaches, and he tells a parable story. This, this story could, be, could have been real. We don't know. It could have been made up. We don't know. But it was uh, in a setting that was very familiar, <clears throat> a very, very familiar setting. In verse number 30, and Jesus answering said, and Christ goes on to tell a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. All right, so this verse here, is, again, is a story. Christ is un unfolding before this man, before this lawyer, trying to bring conviction in regard to salvation, in regard to eternal life. And he tells a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this, this path here was well known. In fact, in the book of Joshua, chapter 18, it's, uh, there's a name for it. All right? It's, it's a, called the Pass of Adunim. A-D-U-M-M-I-M. Adumen. All right? And uh, it's a very, very well-known pass. In fact, the Hebrew word for that is blood. And so it was known for a very dangerous part of that area. So down from Jerusalem to Jericho... Jerusalem was about 300 meters, sorry, 900 meters above sea level. Jericho was about 300 meters below sea level. So you have a 27-kilometer a uh, footpath, a road, that uh, drops about 1,200 meters in 27 Ks. And so it's about 20, if I figured my math right, about 22, 23 degree incline down, very dangerous road, precipices, uh, cliffs. People would hide out behind rocks and boulders, and it was a very well-known place for uh, people that travel that would get robbed, and uh, so the inevitable happened here. The very predictable happened. This man was traveling this road and fell among thieves. wasn't a big surprise. This happened all the time. Which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed him, leaving him half dead. So this man was beat up. He wasn't given a one-two punch. He was given almost a knockout blow. In fact, he was on his point of dying. He was getting close to death. He was half dead. The Bible says he, had, he was totally naked, wounded, bleeding, probably broken bones, a smashed up face, uh, his head was smashed in. He was in a bad way. He was in a bad way. And here he's laying on the side of the road, wounded, leaving him half 
dead. He's there lying on the side of the road, half dead. And then immediately in the story that Christ is telling this lawyer, and by chance there came down a certain priest. And so a little glimmer of hope, because you don't know how long you may be lying there, dying before somebody finally shows up and gives you some assistance. So you have no idea. It could have been hours, days, but here, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. So here we have a glimmer of hope. Finally, somebody's going to come and hopefully help this man. And so this appears on the surface to be the best of news, the best of news. And this is ideal because a priest would know the Old Testament law. He would know the Old Testament law. He would know what it says in Leviticus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 23. In fact, he would know that if you even find your enemy's donkey in the ditch, you make sure you rescue the man's donkey and help him. And he would have taught this, and we have known this. He would have known what it says in Psalm 37, 21. The priest should have known what it said in Micah 6, verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. This priest, he would have known that. He would have known what God expected of him. He would have known that judgment would be merciless to the one who didn't give mercy. But what does the Bible say? And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. That has an indication of he went the opposite direction. He just didn't pass by and, and uh, you know, kind of look. And he just actually went the opposite direction and went across the road to get away from him. He passed by on the other side. Again, as you go through this, this parable, keep reflecting back to the verses prior. This is a lesson about love. So could you... Could you uh, make a, a summary or a deduction and if this man had love or not you think this priest had love I don't think he did I don't think he did we can conclude that this priest had no love for this man <clears throat> so immediately Jesus has turned the question on its head he asked who was my neighbor the lawyer asked that question Jesus turned it around and said let's talk about who is neighborly Instead of talking about who qualifies to be your neighbor, let's talk about the quality with which you love. This is to bring conviction. It's not about who qualifies. It's about the character of your love. So Jesus has already turned this upside down, and now he's talking about the love of the individual towards someone in need, not whether the person in need qualifies to be loved. This should bring conviction to all of us. So we know this, that loving your neighbor is not defining some narrow definition of love that belongs only to certain people. It's the same as loving God. You're to love God with all your faculties, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not who your neighbor is, it's who you are that determines your love. The point is simple. You expected a priest who knew the law, who knew what was required to go help the man, of all people, he should have helped. Next person, <clears throat> the Levite, verse number 32. And likewise, another glimmer of hope, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and what was his reaction? And passed by on the other side. He passed by on the other side. Levites came from Levi. They didn't come from not from Aaron. They were given priestly duties. They were the lowest people on the ladder, the priestly service ladder, that is. 
So they were kind of the temple police, but they would know, understand the law. They would understand the law. He would have known what was required of him. And so he should have known what the priests knew as well. Again, you have the same verb. He passed by on the other side. Again, you have an illustration of a man who had no love. I don't want to get involved in this. I don't get my hands dirty. I don't have time for this. I got places to go. I have an agenda to, to reach. I don't have time for this. That was his attitude. No love. No concern. No compassion. Nothing. Sad story. And you can say, actually, that these religious elites were the ones called in verse number 21 there in Luke chapter 10 when Christ is speaking to his disciples. He said, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sights. The wise and prudent. This lawyer thought he was wise and prudent, but everything was hidden to him. It was hidden. Then we have the twist in the story. There, verse number 31. I'm sorry, 33. <clears throat> verse number 33. By a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. In the context of Jewish-Samaritan relations, this could be the worst possible thing to happen. The man is a Jew that's laying on the side of the road. They're in Israel coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there lies this Jewish man. Here comes a Samaritan. We would assume that this man is not going to be any help at all because the Samaritans and the Jews despised each other with the strongest vitriol imaginable. You understand the scriptures, you understand the racism that existed between those two groups of people? The Samaritans and Jews, they hate each other. They hate it. They're always headbutting, always trying to avoid. In fact, Jews that would travel this road, they, they, they traveled around. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. They'd go around Samaria. They would take the long way around. I'm reminded of John chapter 4 of Christ, who said, I must needs go through Samaria. So this is a, this is a very unlikely person to go and help this Jewish man on the side of the road. But here's, here's the whole point Christ is making to this man. It's religion is not going to help you. Being, being a lawyer, being all the status is not going to help you. It's about love. It's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and body, and your neighbor as yourself. So this is, this is really, uh, this is an unimaginable circumstance here, what's happening, what's taking place. So here's a man who, by the definition of the lawyer, would be the blood enemy of this Jew lying there near death. So here comes a Samaritan. What's going to be the Samaritan's attitude towards this fella, towards this guy on the side of the road? If you're, going to, if you're going to worry about who qualifies to be your neighbor, he doesn't qualify. Not only is he a stranger, but he's an enemy, and there's a tremendous amount of racism between the two. Well, when a Samaritan comes along, and instead of going the other direction, what does the Bible say? As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So in your mind's eye, you kind of see the journey taking place in, in the road there, and the man lying on the side of the road, bloodied, beaten. And you see the man going over, seeing the Samaritan going over to this man and assessing his situation, as you would as a, a paramedic, 
Anybody would. You first assess the person. What, what's going on? Is he broken bones, bleeding? Where's the bleeding coming from? Can I stem the flow? Can I help this man? Is I need CPR? So you have a bit of an assessment on the fellow. And so the Samaritan went over to this man. And as he journeyed, came where he was. He didn't go the opposite way. He went to the man, came where the man was lying on the side of the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. This is where it all begins. Something in his heart just goes out to the man. A sadness, a grief, a sympathy, empathy, pain. A driving need to rescue and recover the man. So he goes and evaluates. He assesses his condition. His need gives careful attention to what's going on to be required for his rescue and recovery. You can see the imagery in your mind. Bending over, taking care of him. And we see this taking place. Look at verse number 34. And went to him and went to him. And bound up his wounds. Understand this man had no clothes anymore. He was naked. So this, this Samaritan took of his own clothes or extra cloth that he had with him traveling and went up and bound up his wounds, his bleeding wounds. His wounds that were pouring out blood. He's taking care of him. He, he's sacrificial, just giving to this man and loving this man. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. I love that, those two words, pouring in. Oil and wine. Understand that wine and oil are often carried with a traveler. Wine for antiseptic purposes, for wounds. Oil to soften the tissue for cooking. Multi-purpose type of liquid. So we have here this man, this Samaritan, the good Samaritan as we call him, going over to this man, assessing his condition, his condition bounding up his wounds, and he just didn't take, he didn't take some cloth and start dabbing the oil and the wine. The Bible says he started pouring in. He took his, his, his flask of oil, his flask of wine, and started pouring it in lavishly. Generosity is overflowing. He's taking care of this man. He's making sure all the bleeding has stopped. He's making sure that uh, all the wounds have been disinfected with the wine, that his, uh, his tissue is softened, and the healing process has Start to be, it's beginning with the oil. And he's pouring in these things lavishly, generously. Pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. This man couldn't get up. So the Samaritan lifted, got down on his hands and knees and lifted this man up off the ground and set him his own beast. And took care of him and guided him, guided his animal, whether it be a donkey, horse, whatever it was, his beast. And the Bible says, and set him as his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, understand this man, this man took care of this fella all night. All night long. Was making sure that he was cared for. If he needed some water, he's got a place to lay. We don't know the condition of this inn. I'm sure it wasn't a flash place to, to, to sleep, but it was a place, nonetheless, a place that you can lay down and you could rest the night after his ordeal on the side of the road. And he was there, and this man, this Samaritan, was taking care of him all night, pouring in oil and wine, getting more supplies, more cloth, making sure he's all right, propping his head up, making sure he's comfortable, making sure his needs are met. Would you say this guy's pretty generous of his time, of his resources? It doesn't stop there. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. 
Two pence. That's enough money for accommodation for about four to six weeks for this man. So he just didn't spend one night on him. He gave, him, he gave the innkeeper money enough to accommodate him for the next four to six weeks. He said, you take care of him. You take care of him. And gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. Not only that, we'll take a step further. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. You understand what's going on? Is this a bit over the top? This is unreal. He's opening himself up to extortion. You understand that? Here, here here's my, here's my uh, bank details. Here, here we go. Here's, here's, the open, here's a blank check. Here's the open checkbook. You just do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, you take care of this man. And whenever I come back, I'll come by this, back, by this way again. I'll, 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 I'll repay thee. I'll take care of it. I'll foot the bill. I'll sort it out. No worries. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Is that a bit over the top to you? Have you ever done that to a stranger? Have you ever done that to anybody? Maybe to a family member? I'll put it out there this morning. We all have done this to somebody before. Yourself. And myself. We take care, we take care of ourselves, don't we? We take care of ourselves. We find the best medicine, the best doctors, the best help, the best medical procedures. Oh, what's the name of that doctor? He's, he's really good? Good, I want him. We take care of ourselves, don't we? We do. I'm guilty of that. Just as much, if not more than you. We have been a bit lavish in ourselves, haven't we? So we can safely say that there's two men, of the three fellows, there's two men that had no love. And would you say the Samaritan had love? Would you say the Samaritan really lived out in detail what the law says? That's what Christ was getting at. Living out lavishly, in abundance, helping this man. There's no limitless love, limitless. Whatever you spend, whatever it takes, you tell me and I'll repay you. Whatever it takes. This is unheard of. You say, oh, I'll give him five bucks to a stranger one time for to help him with some fuel. I've done that. Want to pat in the back? Good job. Getting five bucks. <laughs> we think we're somebody special. We go home and tell, oh, look what I did today. I helped this man. Like this? None of us have. That's the whole point. We can't. We can't do it. It's impossible. We can't obey the law. We can't do this. If we did, we can, we can gain eternal life. We can, have, we can live, the Bible says. But we can't. This is how much we need the Lord. This is how much we need his dependence. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Here's a man whose heart was so full of love that when somebody came across his path, it didn't matter who he was, there was never a question of qualification. There was never a question. Is he my neighbor or is he not? Going back to verse 29, and who is my neighbor? That's not about who is your neighbor. It's not about that. It's who is neighborly. Who is living the law of the Lord? Who is loving the Lord, your neighbor, as yourself? Who's doing that? This should bring conviction. This, this man, this lawyer, has been standing there full of conviction. What do I do? What do I do? The only issue was how I, 
how can I love that man to the full extent of his need? Whether he was friend or an enemy had no bearing whatsoever. Had no bearing whatsoever. And nobody qualifies. Let's finish up here in verse number 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Christ has a question for this, this lawyer. He said, fellow, you've been following me in this story. You, you've been following me. You understand what's going on here. You understand that two, the two, uh, first two fellows there didn't have any love. They had no love whatsoever. Love for themselves. They had their own agenda, going their own way, doing their own thing. But the third fellow, Samaritan, he had love. So it's not about really. Something, there's something else here, something else that has to be the motivation of love. It can't be religion. It can't be anything of that nature. And so Christ has a question for the lawyer. He said, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? <clears throat> and he said, it's interesting, the, the word that the lawyer uses um, here as a response to the question of Christ. He said, he that showed mercy on him. That was a big uh, Old Testament word. In fact, in Proverbs 14, 21, this verse may have popped up in the lawyer's mind while he was listening to the story from Christ. Could have been uh, that verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 18. But in Proverbs 14, 21, the Bible says, King Solomon says this, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Maybe that verse popped in the lawyer's head and he used the word mercy. Not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. But here, and he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Is that possible? Is that possible? Can you, can you go and do what the Samaritan did? You can't. And that's, it's, bringing it's hopefully bringing conviction to this man and conviction for us this morning. We can't do that. I can't. If, if you're here this morning, if you're saved, you have a home in heaven. If you're not saved, if you're trusting something else, let us bring conviction to your life this morning, to your heart. Not only unsaved, but saved alike. I mean, how can even, you know, we think about the unsaved that don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of their hearts, and how can they love like this? How can we love like this who have the Holy Spirit? We can't. We can't do this. We, there's no way. And this, again, we may be able to do it partly once or twice in our life, and we can help to the much of our ability that we're able to. But we can't live this. We can't daily without failing one time. That's the thing. Without failing one time. We all have failed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all failed. Go and do thou likewise. Man, that should have, should have hit his heart. I can't do that. I can't love like that man. I can't love like a Samaritan. I'm not neighborly. I'm not loving like myself. Now you understand the definition of loving yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. We know how we take care of ourselves, don't we? We know, we know how to take care of ourselves. Love your neighbor, love your, love your heavenly father first like that, and your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy <clears throat> is he. 
At the end of the story, the end of the encounter is Jesus saying, go and do the same. Did he? No. Could he? No. Would he repent? We don't know. We don't know. Will he inherit the kingdom of God? Of course not. Who will? Those who repent of their lack of love toward God and others cry out for mercy and forgiveness from the Christ who paid the penalty for that forgiveness through his death on the cross. The offer of grace with an unfavorable verdict. That leaves us in a tight spot, doesn't it? It really does. As we think of our own Christian life, are we loving others like ourselves? Are we loving God like ourselves? Him first, others, then yourself last. And this morning, if you're, you're here, your first time, second time, third time here at church, and you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, never placed your faith and trust in Him for eternal life, let this be the day. Let's be the day. Let's pray together. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for this account in the Gospel of Luke. And Lord, we uh, all should feel a, a, a nudge of conviction this morning and, and a prodding in our own heart to know, Lord, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a part of the family of God. I'm part of God's kingdom. But Lord, am I loving like this? Wow, I'm, I'm so far off. I'm so far off. Lord, help us, Lord, with your strength and with your guidance and wisdom. Help us, Lord. As we deal with others, as we deal with those who are, I'm sure there's folks here this morning that uh, have loved ones, relatives, co-workers that are not saved, that need salvation. Lord, help us to maybe glean some pointers here in this passage that will help us to maybe approach the conversation a, a bit different angle and to help them realize, Lord, it's not religion, it's not works. It's not anything we can do for access and entrance to your kingdom. But Lord, for those of us who are saved this morning, I pray that we would just, again, feel a little bit of a, a nudge in our hearts, say, man, I got I to up the game a little bit. And Lord, with your help, we can do that. With your help, Lord, help us day by day as we live for you. As the piano plays and uh, softly, I saw keep her head bowed and eyes closed just for a moment and uh, maybe just pray to the Lord quietly at your seat. Say, Lord, I just, I just need your help. I need to love you, first of all, with all my faculties and love my neighbor, no matter who it is, no matter if it's a friend, foe, enemy, somebody I resent. Help me love people like you loved. And by the way, and in the story, this explicitly describes God's love for us, the Samaritan. He's done that for you, done that for me. And even at this point of our story, this parable, the end of the story there, Christ offers grace again to this man. Forgiveness of his pride, of his hardness of heart. Father, we know your love is pure. Thank you for loving us, Lord. We don't deserve it. Lord, we, we all deserve, as the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And Father, we thank you, Lord, 
again for this passage. We thank you for these folks this morning. I pray you bless them, keep them safe throughout the holidays. Lord, we ask you, Lord, just to be with us. Thank you for this time. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother John, I think it's come up here and lead us in the closing.